What's up, IDC? It's good to see so many of you out here on a little chilly day. I'm reminded of uh, uh, one time when Billy Graham was preaching at one of his crusades, and it was evening, it was dark, it was cold, uh, much colder than this, and, and he told you know, the thousands that had come to hear him, he said, uh, I'll be brief, because it doesn't take long to preach the gospel. I think that's true. My name is Daniel, if we haven't met, and I have the, the joy and the privilege of serving as one of the, the lay pastors here at Imago Day. And I want to welcome you today, and if you're joining and watching us online, welcome, uh, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2021. I feel like we should get t-shirts, right? We survived 2020, though it doesn't feel much different right now. I don't know about you, but I typically don't fool around with New Year resolutions, and I didn't hear a whole lot of New Year resolutions for 2021. I think we learned our lesson in 2020. But I do sometimes like to find, you know, the, the way off predictions uh, for what life will be like in whatever year it is. Uh, and of course, in 2020, no one seriously predicted a global pandemic. Usually, it's the, the predictions are cars and Mars, Right. Well, by, by this year, by 2020, uh, there'll be flying cars, and we'll probably have put people on Mars. Uh, that, that's pretty, pretty uh, that, that's common for whatever year you're looking at. But I found one for 2020 that uh, maybe somewhat relates to our text. In 1911, there was a surgeon in England who, in a lecture given at the Royal College of Surgeons, if you can imagine that, in this academic professional lecture predicted that by the year 2020, he said the human foot would become one big toe. <laughs> he said the useless outer toes will become used less and less so that man might become a one-toed race. It's like, this little piggy went to market. <laughs> the end. We may still have all of our toes, at least I do, but the reality is 2020 was quite a difficult year. Some have said that it was the hardest year for our country and for the world since 1968. And here we are, entering 2021, socially distanced, technologically drowned, politically dazed, racially divided still, and all in all, just done. I can't tell you how many times I'll be walking through my house, shaking my head, don't even know I'm doing it. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? Man, I'm just done. I'm just done with all of this. And I'm sure you felt the same way. But I think one of the dangers that, uh, one of the dangerous effects that this may have had on all of us is how we interact with one another as church members. It has become far too easy for us to be less engaged, to be more distracted, to be more suspicious of others, and on and on we could go. Church membership during a global pandemic has certainly looked very different. But I want to ask this question. What does, this, what does it look like for the church to survive all of this and still be a healthy gospel community? What does it look like for the church of Jesus Christ to survive COVID, 
to survive 2020 and 2021 and, and beyond. To survive all of this and still be a healthy gospel community. And I think we have to ask that question because I think there are a lot of ideas about what the church ought to be doing to maintain our gospel witness, to love our neighbors, to lead the culture, to best serve one another. And oftentimes, we have very different ideas about how to do those things. And we have to ask this question because COVID has not stopped Jesus from building and sanctifying his church. So what does it look like for the church to survive all of this and still be a healthy gospel community? For the next few moments, I want to revisit together a biblical vision for church membership. And as we do this together, I hope that we can look kind of up above the weeds, rise above the fray of all that's been going on, and behold the grandeur of what God has accomplished through His Son, by His Spirit, in creating church membership. I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table. I think what we're going to find is that the Bible describes church membership as a spiritually united, functionally diverse, mutually interdependent body of believers in Jesus Christ. That's a bit of a mouthful. I'll say it again. The Bible describes church membership as a spiritually united, functionally diverse, mutually interdependent body of believers in Jesus Christ. Now, typically what I like to do is I'll take the big idea, right, and then uh, the points of the sermon kind of flesh out each phrase of that big idea. But I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I think this is a familiar text. Um, and so let me give you the, the roadmap for where we're going. The first thing that I want to do from 1 Corinthians 12 is I want us to see and understand the doctrine of church membership. And then second point, I want to call us, call our attention the two dangers that threaten the biblical vision for church membership. And then thirdly and finally, I want to give us five exhortations, five duties or delights, if you will, of church membership that come from this, this specific text. So the doctrine of church membership. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then down in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you were to flip through the pages of the New Testament, you would find several images for the church, several descriptions analogies of what the church is, right? The household of God, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's one author who identifies 96 different images in the pages of the New Testament for the church. 96 of them. I think he overstates it a little bit. But he is right when he says that the most prominent image for the church in Paul's writings is the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the passage we read together earlier, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, Colossians 1, Hebrews 13. All of these talk about the body of Christ with their own focus, their own emphasis, 
they all talk about the body of Christ and what it means to be a member in that body. So there are a few things that I want us to see and understand about the doctrine of church membership from this passage. First is, church membership is in the Bible. You may often hear arguments that, well, the idea of church membership is in the Bible, but you don't really ever see it explicitly taught or commanded. Have you seen 1 Corinthians 12? Have you seen Romans 12? When I say that it's in the Bible, I'm saying more than the idea is in the Bible. I'm saying the very words are in the Bible. And if church membership is in the Bible, then it's God's idea. You know what the Greek word for member really means? Member. But we need to understand what is meant by membership, don't we? Because oftentimes church membership is thought of like it's a country club membership or a gym membership where you pay your dues and then you get to, you know, get all the perks. But that is not the biblical vision for church membership. If that were the case, then whenever there's another church that has better perks and requires less of you, you would do what a lot of people do. You would just pick up and move. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about church membership. And it's not just a formal organizational membership where the only difference is your name gets put on a roll, where the church now has your contact information and we can call you and bug you all the time. That's not the biblical vision for church membership. No, the biblical vision for church membership is, is about being connected to other Christians in the same way that your arm is connected to your body. It's identifying with one another so that we, when one member suffers, all suffer with it. When one member rejoices, all rejoice with it. The biblical vision for church membership is about relationships, and it's about mutual fellowship in the gospel. Now, if we understand church membership in that way, if we understand that when the Bible talks about being members of one another, that's what it's talking about. You can't help but see it in the Bible. Oftentimes people say, you don't see church mem- I don't see church membership in the Bible. And I want to say, I don't not see church membership in the Bible. It's all over the place. Church membership is in the Bible. And secondly, church membership is the default status of every Christian. Paul gives us in verse 12 this illustration of the body. And he says that just there are many members that constitute one body of Christ, right? How does that happen? How is it that a multiplicity of members composes one body of Christ? He explains it in verse 13. It happens through spiritual baptism. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, doesn't matter what your status is. If you're a Christian, you've been baptized into this body of Christ. And when Paul talks about this spiritual baptism, I think it's important to note that he's not talking about a a post-conversion, secondary blessing type of spiritual experience. In Paul's mind, this spiritual baptism is not a milestone in the Christian life. It's the beginning of the Christian life. Think about Galatians chapter 3, where Paul is defending this beautiful doctrine of salvation by faith alone. He asked the Galatians, 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's the beginning of the Christian life. We can't become a Christian without the Spirit, without being baptized in the Spirit. It's the Spirit that does the work. That's how we're saved. And so when Paul speaks of this spiritual baptism, he's talking about becoming a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit of Christ. I know that some of you got some really cool new tech gadgets for Christmas. Maybe you got a new iPhone. That kind of stuff's not for me. Uh, I, I don't like technology very much. I'm not very good at it. Uh, but I know some of you got some, some cool new tech stuff. Now, inevitably, when you, or you open the box, you take the thing out, you turn it on, and you're given a choice, right? Do you want to roll with the default settings, or do you want to customize them to whatever your own preferences are? I always pick the default settings because I can tell you if I go trying to customize it, I'm going to break it. But when it comes to church membership, there is no custom setting. Every Christian is made a member of Christ's church right out of the box. One author says that church membership is a biblical reality that is born out of the spiritual union between Christ and his followers. If the Spirit has united you to Jesus Christ, then you've also been united to the body of Christ, that is the church. Now, I want us to follow the logic, that, see, see what Paul's doing here, because I think this is really cool, and I think you're going to think it's cool too, so I'm going to tell you about it. If Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation to explain his illustration of membership in the body of Christ, then church membership must be a deeply soteriological idea. That is, it is integrally tied up with salvation. And if it's a deeply soteriological idea, therefore it must be a deeply Christological idea. In other words, what you believe about Christ and the way that he saves people will in large part determine what you believe about church membership. Let me prove it to you. Do you think that Jesus is simply concerned with saving individuals? Just a whole bunch of, of individuals. Or, in saving those individuals, is he redeeming and uniting a people for himself, over which he presides as the head? Which of those do you think? Because if you think that he's merely concerned with saving a whole bunch of individuals, what need have you of church membership? It's just a me and Jesus kind of faith, right? But if he is in fact saving those individuals, redeeming them and uniting them into a people, if he is saving his sheep and bringing them into one flock over which he is the shepherd, over which he is the head of his body, if he's doing that, then church membership becomes very important, doesn't it? We talk a lot about local church membership at IDC, and I want you to know that it's not because we do want to have our theological T's crossed and our ecclesiological I's dotted. 
We talk a lot about church membership, and it's not because we want to have a long list of members. We don't, we don't, it's not just about numerical growth. Right? There's no reward in heaven for having a large church membership, a lot of, a lot of people on the rolls. We talk about church membership because we love Jesus and because Jesus loves his church. So much so that he made church member the default status of every one of his followers. So church membership is in the Bible. It's the default status of every Christian. And church membership is rooted in spiritual unity. Right? The fact that you and I have each been baptized in the same spirit. That we have been united to the same Christ. That we share one common faith. All of that means that there is an objective unity that exists between us. That's beautiful. Unity is the baseline reality shared between all Christians. We may not look alike. We may not like the same things. We may not vote alike. We may even speak a different language. But the baseline reality is we share a common identity in Christ. And that means that you and I have more in common with a Christian from 3rd century Asia Minor than we do with our unbelieving neighbor. You and I have more in common with a Christian of a different race, different ethnicity, different culture than we do with our unbelieving neighbor who looks like us, eats like us, talks like us. Spiritual unity is more foundational than all of the differences that we have with one another. And our spiritual unity is more foundational than all of the commonalities we share with other people who may not be Christians. That is the nature of the spiritual unity that we share as members of the body of Christ. Now I hope by this point you might say to me, and because you would be right, you might say that, we're talking about membership in the universal church, right? Paul says that we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. We were all made to drink of one spirit. So you're talking about membership in the universal church, right? The church that's composed of Christians of all kinds and in all places at all times throughout history. Yes, that's what we're talking about. Well, then you might say, well, then why do we talk about local church membership so much? Why do I have to join a local church? Isn't it enough for you, if the Bible's talking about the universal church, isn't it enough for you that I'm a member of the universal church? No. That's because membership in a local church is how you express your membership in the universal church. And it's how you enjoy all of the benefits that come with it. Right? When you join a local church, that means there's a specific group of people for me to serve and to be served by. There's a specific group of people who are holding you accountable and who you hold accountable. There's a specific group of people who receive the benefit of your spiritual gifts and vice versa. There's a specific group of elders and pastors to whom I submit 
and who care for me and will give an account for me. Now, none of that is available to you in any meaningful way if you're not committed to a local expression of the body of Christ. Membership in a local church is the special provision made by Jesus for worship, for fellowship, for instruction, for discipline, for service, and we could go on and on. That's why we talk about membership in the local church so much. It's how we express our membership in the universal church, and it's how we enjoy the benefits. Otherwise, if that's not true, then the rest of this passage doesn't really make sense. So church membership is in the Bible. It's the default status of every Christian, and it's rooted in spiritual unity. But knowing this, right, knowledge doesn't always lead to faithfulness. Knowing this does not mean that we will automatically be a healthy gospel community. There are two dangers that I want to point out from this text that threaten healthy church membership. So 1 Corinthians, the whole letter, tells us that the body of Christ in Corinth was fractured in a lot of different ways. But in chapters 12 to 14, one of those fractures is with the use of spiritual gifts. So when you become a Christian and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're united to Christ, the Holy Spirit equips and enables you in a particular way to function in the body of Christ for the common good. And there are a variety of ways that the Holy Spirit gifts us to do that. In chapter 12, in verse, uh, four through, verses 4 through 7, Paul reminds the Corinthians that there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right now, the church in Corinth was behaving as though there were a hierarchy of spiritual gifts. Right? So in their minds, there was the let's surprise Lexus in the driveway with the bow on it spiritual gifts. And then there was the jelly of the month club spiritual gifts. Right? The gift that keeps on giving the whole year round. But because in their minds there was a hierarchy of spiritual gifts, there was then a hierarchy of those who manifested the right gifts. The very thing that the Spirit had enabled these believers to do for the common good, the church was actually using to divide themselves. And those with the less prominent, less public gifts were marginalized. And those with the more flashier, more public, more prominent gifts were magnified. And Paul addresses both of these groups. The first thing he says in verses 14 through 20 is, Don't underestimate your role in the body. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Right? If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Just as the parts of our physical bodies are functionally diverse, each part performs a different function, so it is with the body of Christ. Right? And so as Christians, as church members... The Holy Spirit has gifted us in a particular way so that we can perform a specific function in the body. 
And you shouldn't underestimate your role in the body because it's the Spirit that is the one who gives you the gift. It's the Spirit is the, the one uh, who gives you the purpose. And it's this hustle and bustle of gifts and services and activities that Paul talks about. It's both necessary and it's intentional. That's why you shouldn't underestimate your role in the body. It's necessary, right? In order to have a healthy body, all the parts have to do what they were designed to do in coordination with the other parts. Your brain has to think, your heart has to beat, your mouth has to chew and eat, and your feet have to walk. And sometimes all of that has to happen at the same time. And when one part goes rogue, it's not a pretty sight. All of, all of the parts have to do what they were designed to do in coordination with the other parts. And one part's usefulness is not judged by a different part's function. You're not going to go home or go wherever and sit down for lunch today, right? And then start mashing your food up with your hands and then get angry and be like, you know, curse these hands. They just won't swallow the food. That would be ridiculous. We need a whole lot of different parts doing a whole lot of different things in order to be healthy. So this functional diversity that marks the church is necessary and it's intentional. It's, it's, the Bible says that the, uh, this variety is God's gracious design. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So IDC, we are not Christians by accident, right? And just as we are not Christians by accident, we are not members of this body by accident. Jesus has a vested interest in his churches becoming healthy gospel communities. He shed his blood for that. So we need all kinds of people doing all kinds of things in the body to be a healthy gospel community. There are no useless outer toes in the body of Christ. So don't underestimate your role in the body and don't underestimate someone else's role in the body. That's verses 21 to 26, right? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You, we are not, you and I are not so gifted that we don't need other Christians in our life. Make no mistake, a false sense of superiority will always breed a false sense of self-sufficiency. If you think you're better than someone else, you will have no need of them. You will dismiss them and marginalize them. That kind of pride and that kind of arrogance is a threat to the biblical vision for church membership that we're looking at. You know, Paul continues on, he says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, he says, those are indispensable. So the, just as our physical bodies, right, the parts that are weaker, the parts that are less honorable, we take greater care. We show more modesty, as if we have good sense. And so it is with the body of Christ. The parts that seem less honorable, we show greater honor. Those with the more prominent gifts are to show honor to those with the less prominent gifts because that's exactly what God has done. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. How do we do that? 
the kind of protection, the kind of modesty that we show our physical bodies? How do we, what's the parallel? How do we do that now in the body of Christ? It's not very profound. It's actually pretty simple, but it may not be easy. Be humble. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Be humble and take initiative. Be attentive to the needs of others without favoritism. Consider the needs of others as more important than your own. And lower the threshold of your own inconvenience so that you can serve other people. Too many people are not willing to be inconvenienced in order to serve a brother or sister in Christ. That is a threat to a healthy, functioning gospel community. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I know this is a, this is a, a passage that is written to Christians. It's written to believers. It's written to church members. And so naturally the sermon is crafted for church members and for Christians. But I do want to offer a word to non-Christians. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're listening online and you have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this is the biblical vision for what the church ought to be. We don't always live up to it. We are still not perfect, but Jesus is. Do not hear me say that we are drawing you into, uh, into this fellowship for salvation. We cannot save you, but Jesus can. I hope that by talking about church membership, I can point you to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he was securing redemption and forgiveness of sins for you. And he was creating a people for you to belong to if you would repent and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he, he, he would do. If you find yourself wandering through life feeling aimless and alone, that is a symptom of sin and brokenness. Jesus has already solved those problems. He can give you purpose and a people. So, brothers and sisters, I know, faith family, we would say amen to that. Let me give you, thirdly, five duties of church membership, or five delights of church membership. Now, walk with me here. This is, this is in summary. We're almost done. I know it's getting cold, uh, and I know, you know, when, when one member suffers, the whole the whole body suffers, right? Your feet get cold and your whole body shivers. I'm there with you. Five duties of church membership. Now, I've got an acronym. COVID. <laughs> but in order to make it work, we've got to take these five things and go backwards through the text that we just looked at. Okay? So verse 26, the letter C, cultivate empathy. When one member suffers, all suffer with it. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. These are signs of Christian maturity. Pursue this. Cultivate empathy. Oh, verses 24 and 25. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Don't seek honor for yourself. Don't be concerned with promoting yourself. Rather, make it your aim to honor and bless others. V, verses 21 to 24, value every member. Be grateful for your fellow members of this church. God has specifically placed them in your life to do you good and for you to do them good. Value every member. I, verses uh, uh, 14 through 20, implement your gifts. The Holy Spirit has given every single Christian particular gifts for the common good. So whatever your gift is, use it. If you don't know what your gift is, plug in and serve. You'll figure it out. People will tell you, you're gifted at that, or you're not so gifted at that. Implement your gifts, and thank God that he has designed you in a particular way at this particular time to build up this particular body of Christ. Finally, D, in verses 12 to 13, devote yourself to unity. Unity is not something that we create or that we achieve, is it? It is accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. In Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that Christian unity is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in which we may participate. So devote yourself to unity. Because if we're not careful, we can crush and mangle our unity. We don't create it. But it can come pretty well near be destroyed if we're not careful. Just look at the church in Corinth. Devote yourself to maintaining our unity for the sake of the name of Jesus. I got sick and tired of hearing the word COVID. So I wanted to give you an acronym. So next time you hear the word COVID, think... I know how to be a good church member. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, faith family, church members, let's pursue this biblical vision of church membership in 2021 and beyond, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We know that you love us because you sent your son to die on the cross for us. We confess we do not deserve your grace, but you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that you have baptized us in the Spirit into one body where we get to experience all of the benefits of what it means to be a follower of Christ with one another. We ask for your help as we pursue the biblical vision for church membership, as we, our desire is to be a healthy, functioning gospel community, Lord, we ask for your help. We know that's what you want as well. Please help us do this, Lord. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that, uh, that you would drive the truth deep into our hearts and change our lives with it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.